Listener supported. WNYC Studios. One of the values that I think poetry practices with language is that precision matters. Naming things precisely matters. As human beings, if we have not been seen straight on or named precisely, we feel ill at ease. I think we learn from poetry to be precise, to be exact in our intention, and that's a big thing for me. I think poetry also distills some of the chaos of the personality. We are at once essential, unmasked, and sometimes even unnerved. Is that the door? Hello, Is that the door? Our paths have crisscrossed so many times over the years. The smile and wave from across a crowded room, the embrace before the hurried exit. But we've never had the opportunity until today to simply sit in the presence of one another. Finally at rest, after a long day and many meetings, she arrived. We hugged, we centered, and we began. I'm Helga Davis. Here we are with Dr. Elizabeth Alexander. So you've named the things that you did, right? Yeah. You're going from meetings to your head, to your head, to your head, to your head. Mm -hmm. But then what does it feel like? To be not on earth? Yeah. If you imagine the inner rooms of us, Mm -hmm. it feels like I haven't been to those inner rooms recently enough. Mm. And I think you have to go to those inner rooms every day. But I think also shifting in the last couple of years from a life that has more time and space for reading and writing to a life that is trying to do something else that's more external, I have to remind myself that it's fine that it's not the same as how it was, but I have to identify a vitamin deficit <laughs> and see what I can do to to build it in. So what it feels like is I don't know what the contours of my insides are like. And so in my body, I feel like I'm hollow, but now I feel like I'm coming back to full and curious about what's inside. And that place, I think, is also so important to know, to be curious about what's inside. Not Mm -hmm. to know, Mm -hmm. but to be curious Mm -hmm. about what's inside. Mm -hmm. It's so important. And I think also what was wonderful about coming in and seeing you and being received is that different people um, open us up to different parts. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's an exchange. Yeah. Uh, So there's not only the occasion, but there's also the human being occasioning the occasion. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. I had the big privilege of being in a car with you and with Lorna Simpson Mm -hmm. and with Thelma Golden. Mm -hmm. Like three three of my spirit, hero, sister Mm. people. And the thing that I was aware of was how how important 
it is to see yourself in the people that you surround yourself with mm-hmm. and to feel yourself. And then I felt also young. And I also felt my full grown ass self, uh-huh. too. And that was another thing that, that felt so important to me to identify as a necessary part of an inner life mm-hmm. is this mirroring and to be able to sit in the company of women, of black women, of women who feel like sisters, mm-hmm. of women who feel like role models, of women who look like me. So mm-hmm. anything they do, I can also do. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's the young part, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I belong here. Yeah. Yeah, this this sense of belonging. And it has nothing to do with how often I see you, mm-hmm. whether or not I've ever been to your house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's not any of those things. Mm-hmm. But it was medicine for me, just, just this ride from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we got inside the place that we were going to, and there was a lot of activity there mm-hmm. and lots of different needs mm-hmm. to be met in that room mm-hmm. by the four of us. Mm-hmm. But I had that first imprinting in the car, and it actually made it okay for me to be in the space that, that we were in. Mm-hmm. I had a sense of completeness and of, of wholeness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and an interior life. You know, um, when I think about that car ride, I think also about the um, the spiritual health of it all, mm-hmm. um, which is also to say that, you know, to, to accept each other, uh, to be with each other. Thelma and Lorna and I had a little bit of business we needed to figure out. We figured out that business, but it could have been that any combination of us had to get something done. And that whoever wasn't in the business would have, in a, in a trustful way, been able to just be there. I mean, that's a pretty profound thing in this life as well. You know, I think also this business of belonging to each other, it's important unto itself because, you know, human beings are connected. Uh, uh, and um, <laughs> that's one of the reasons to be alive is uh-huh. to connect to other human beings. But I think that also um, we fortify each other and ourselves in order that we can go back out and share something or do some work, you know, or mentor, you know, a younger generation or, you know, fix some bullshit, um, so all of this fortifying, again, while it's enough unto itself, it's actually what it enables all of us to be able to do the things that we're trying to do um, in, our, in our work lives. What is it for you about words, and particularly words organized as poems mm-hmm. that is that, – that is so important for your life and and that is so much of your life. Yeah, I was thinking um, about how being a poet um, manifests in spaces that are not, you know, artistic spaces. Uh, Today, when I was in one of my meetings um, and we were thinking about um, how to 
name uh, an institute or center that's coming together. And I was like, ooh, 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 naming time. (laughs) I can do that. Name, name, name. You know, here's 20 words. This is exciting. I love this. And I thought that one of the values that I think poetry um, practices with language is that precision matters. Naming things precisely matters. Conversely, being imprecise, being sloppy, not looking directly, but rather looking to the side, is of consequence. Mm. You know, as human beings, if we have not been seen straight on or named precisely, we feel ill at ease. Yes. Um, And I think that... um, language is um, it's the thing that all of us have um, uh, with which to exchange ideas. Language is one of the ways that we uh, unify and distinguish and make community. Hmm. So I I, I started off in my life um, uh, studying dance really seriously. So I felt like it was my art form. Mm -hmm. And so that was the way I communicated. And it turned out that I was a person more of words. But I think a lot about what it means to communicate even ideas um, with and and through your body. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I found with words being better at them, uh, is that I could say more, do more, exchange more, Hmm. soul to soul more, um, figure things out in what I find the hard, exhilarating work of searching for the right words. Um, I think about, you know, some of our poets. I think about, you know, Audre Lorde in Cole and when uh, she says, some words bedevil me uh, and about, you know, just her understanding of, you know, the texture and depth and potential uh, of of words, how we wrestle with them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I, I find that not only very satisfying, but also um, quite a... Um, a medium without which some things can't happen. So I need them. I have some words mm-hmm. that I'm actually having trouble with mm-hmm. right now. They are bedeviling you. They are bedeviling me. <laughs> May I share them with Please, you? Please, yes. Faith. Hmm. Tradition. Mm-hmm. Journey and family. Hmm. The tradition one, I have a really hard time with, because very often when I hear that word, I hear white people excluding black people, mm-hmm. or black people excluding white people. There, there, there's some, mm-hmm. it's used not from a place of pride, but as a place of separation. Mm-hmm. Well, we have our traditions. Mm-hmm. And then immediately in my head, I go and I look my, my mind makes this filter of, of who, well, it depends on who's saying the word mm-hmm. first. So it's source. I mm-hmm. consider its source. Mm-hmm. And then I make a lot of assumptions about who they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think that perhaps until I, I see 
or live evidence to the contrary, I'm always going to make the assumption that it doesn't mean me. Hmm. Well, tradition goes in so many different directions. I mean, um, in my education, a, a lot of my work was about working along tracks of people who were trying to build uh, counter archives, you know, other traditions to say, here are these black women writers from the 19th century whose work has not been preserved in book form. You know, so I I came up, my contemporary reading was people like Lucille Clifton and uh, Sonia Sanchez and Ntisaki Shange, but those were not people who I was studying in school. Mm-hmm. And those were not people who were seen as being in the English literary tradition. So, tr- you know, tradition and counter-tradition is something that not only am I comfortable with, but I find dynamic. And part of why I find it dynamic is that it is animated uh, by uh, by the fight. Mm-hmm. So that's one way that I think about tradition. I think um, the complexities of uh, tradition um, with within black conversations um, is that I think sometimes as artists figuring out how we do and don't fit into black traditions when that's supposed to be our heritage is a whole interesting tricky thing preach so I think that what you know what's what's beautiful about being and you know many have said this I think it was Ellison who said you can't choose your kin, but you can choose your ancestors, huh. which I I take to mean, you know, there's the blood you're born into, but who opens you up as an artist, who your people are in that regard, well, that's idiosyncratic. You just figure that out. Mm. And your work is a resolution of that. Mm-hmm. But it's not always easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I, I guess, to me, the, the privilege of um, making art is that you can bring all these things together, but you don't have to resolve it. You right. know, it's all process. Yeah. Um, I think a lot about what are um, some of the transferable skills about being an artist to doing other kinds of work. And I think the ability to sustain process with elements that seem irreconcilable. Yes. That's very, very transferable and valuable. And it's also valuable to go to another of your words, um, inside a family. Mm-hmm. I have two sons, 20 and 21, and they were choosing their courses for the semester and I stay out of it <laughs> as long as possible. And then I have many opinions. So I said, you know, take a literature class. And he, he looked up to me and he said, Mama, I like to read things that are true. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and he said it with great kindness. But he was saying, this is how, at this point in my learning, mm-hmm. I need to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is what kind of sinks me. in and feeds yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, I think a good mother moment um, was that I didn't feel the need to reconcile that. Mm. He is who he is. I am who I am at this moment in time. Hmm. You know, one of the beautiful things about um, having a little bit of time on this earth is that you realize, okay, well, inshallah, as they say, <laughs> you know, you, you get to need and practice and learn yeah. something for a stretch, be in certain relationships for a stretch, and then keep it evolving. 
Are there things that you you do every day? Are there practices that you have every day? Yeah, I love people's days uh, and people's habits and people's practices. And um, um, I devour um, that in others, and I'm really curious about it in others. You know, I remember when I um, read Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own um, and thought about um, uh, the luxury of having a room of one's own. And then around that time also read something that Ntisaki Shange wrote about um, how when she's really, really deep in hard work, she says first what she has to do is there has to be water and flowers hmm. um, on the table where she's working, but that there also comes a point where she has to get out of the house because the writing makes it too funky in the house. Mm -hmm. So she has to go and work in a cafe um, for a little while. Um, and what I loved about that was I thought... You can always have a flower. You can always have water. Mm -hmm. You can have a dandelion. Mm -hmm. That's not about having certain kinds of resources. That's about a practice and a habit. Mm -hmm. um, I always have flowers mm -hmm. um, in, my, in my living space. I try to meditate um, before I pick up my phone or do other things. And what does that mean um, for you? Yeah, and what that means is it's meant different things at different times. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it might have meant listening to, you know, Oprah and Deepak mm -hmm. or, or listening to The Daily Calm or, or listening to any kind of, you know, app. More often what it means is just turning over on my back, putting one hand on my chest and one hand on my belly and just closing my eyes and coming into the day. I have a little um, piece of wood, a small painting that my uh, late husband made, and it says, I wake up grateful for life is a gift. So I look at that every morning uh, as well. On a good day, there's yoga. Uh, there's walking. Mm -hmm. I find um, walking to be very great centering time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you know, that walking also gives time to transition from one idea to the next, from one place to the next, from uh, a bodily state of being a little bit tight to being a little bit, little bit looser. Mm -hmm. um, I also every day um, start with uh, uh, a, a text round robin with two other sister girlfriends. And um, so, you know, everyone's an early bird mm -hmm. and I, um, uh, you never know what you'll wake up to or if you'll be the one to start it. Mm -hmm. And it might be good morning or it might be here's an interesting interesting thing someone saw or, you know, here's a, something funny or here's uh, something on our minds. Mm -hmm. um, but that happens every single day. And it doesn't matter where you all are on nope. the planet. It just This it morning happens. on the planet, we were in uh, Western Pennsylvania, San Diego, California, and New York City. Huh. Um, and it's kind of actually one of the great things um, because we move around for our work, mm -hmm. um, that it's a way of um, being together even when we're physically not together and that there is shorthand, um, uh, but also just I, I want to see the world through her eyes. Yeah. You know, and also it's it's being, so again, we didn't like, go deeper on family and what is, you know, vexed about the word for you. Um, I, I, you know, I, I love the family I was born into. I love the blood family that I made. Um, and I really love my chosen family. Mm. 
uh, that I sometimes refer to as the village. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, at, at this stage in my life, 57 years old, really f- knowing that I have chosen family mm-hmm. um, and that my my parents and children have those people too, um, and knowing as I look out at the next stretch, um, I don't feel ominous, but I am certainly more than halfway through my life. <laughs> you know, so I, you know, so which is only to say, I feel like okay, so we are journeying together. Mm-hmm. So that's when I think about the word family. That's where I sit with it, and that feels full. I feel like I'm getting there, mm-hmm. and and that what it's meant is a lot of holding on and letting go, mm-hmm. and it's both things. Mm-hmm. And trusting, like believing people when they say, I'm your family, mm-hmm. right? Um, what are your day things? What are your rituals and habits? I wake up, and I'm a pretty early person, too. I can feel the light change. I don't Mm. have shades or anything, and I feel the light change. And when I feel that, I open my eyes. Mm -hmm. By the window of my bed, I have a little thing of foliage that Mm -hmm. has been wired into the word yes. Mm. And I make sure I look at that first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And say yes. Mm. I get up, I light my candle, and then I sit I just sit down. Mm -hmm. There are six women uh, who receive a text message from me Mm -hmm. every morning. Mm -hmm. And that's a thing that I, I, I pretty much do every day. Sometimes when I travel, it gets wonky, Mm -hmm. but um, I am committed to that. For most of them, it's emojis. Mm Mm-hmm. And sometimes I try and tell stories with the emojis. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and then recently, I had one friend who was always sending me back what I sent her. Mm-hmm. And I got mad. And I'm like, come on, you can be more creative mm-hmm. than this. And so I sent her a message and I said, what is it that you would have me have from you to begin my day? Hmm. And that's the way I phrased it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And her response to me was that I would write you love notes. I would send you words that I love Mm. and emojis when applicable. Mm -hmm. But that was not her go-to. And so it helped me understand this thing full circle because here I was in my judgment Mm -hmm. and, and my anger which I've been trained to hold back. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I'm not going to because I want more from this person. Yeah. Right? So I asked this question, and then she sent me back the thing that completely humbled me. Mm. And she said, thank you for asking me Mm. because this is not what I want to do with you. Yeah. yeah, What I want to do with you is to send you love notes. Mm. And so now, every morning with this person, we send love notes. Oh, so beautiful. 
And I had no idea. Well, it's courageous to ask something of a friendship, not to just be in it, you know? I mean, I think, you know, we spend most of our time being in our friendship, and that's part of why we're friends with people, because it is easeful and pleasant to be with them. But to ask something of a friendship, I think, is uh, is brave. She's my family, mm-hmm. for, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to lose my family. Mm. There is love here, mm-hmm. and it's long love. Mm-hmm. It's many, many, many years. Ask for more. Yeah. Ask for what you want. Mm. Wow. Oof, I'm going to take that. So you've you've accomplished a lot of things now. Are you able to enjoy the things that, that you've been able to do? Well, what would that look like? I mean, I think um, raising two sons well, you always knock wood with these things, mm-hmm. um, is the thing I'm the most proud of mm-hmm. and the thing that gives me the most pleasure. Mm. Um, you know, having these 20 and 21-year-old people, uh, big people, beautiful people, fascinating people, hilarious people mm. um, who still come around a lot. Mm. Um, I enjoyed um, every stage of their lives, actually, be- mm. being their mother. But I feel that this is an extra special stage. Um, because? because well, because they haven't yet. Fu- you know, they're in college. They haven't yeah. yet fully gone off on their own. I mean, it, it's nice. They've sort of created some space and independence, but they still have college vacation time to come around, um, so that we can really be together. But I can also look at them from a distance, doing their thing. You know, reading their own books, having their own friends. There's a lot of dynamism because everybody goes out and brings something back. So the house is very alive with that. So I'm very, um, I enjoy that accomplishment. Mm-hmm. I have written well. I have done my best with the books I've written. I'm glad that that's there, although I think, I don't know if you feel this way, I think that um, even making art that you're pleased with sometimes has a bit of a taunt in it. Oh, absolutely. You know, because then it's it's like, well, you're going to do it again? Y- oh, you know? absolutely. <laughs> like what's, what's next? Are you are you in yourself or are oh, you yeah. squandering yourself? Yeah. So there's a, a little bit of that. As far as enjoying, I mean, so many decades as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And what I enjoy from that is when the former students come, come around in, in different guises. And because most of them haven't become scholars or artists, it's fascinating to see what studying Black literature and culture, how they've taken that into into other worlds. But I'm, I'm proud because also, because that work was rigorously teaching Black culture um, to mixed audiences and because black culture is something where we've had to fight for it to have its space in the academy i feel good about that mm. so to this work now um uh, and of the last few years in philanthropy um i feel really fortunate that i get to be helpful in that way mm-hmm. and i feel like the work that i do is not as hard as the work that the builders and the makers and the artists and the institution builders and the educators who we support are trying to do. Mm -hmm. So I just feel like, great, you know, I got something here, a resource that lets you 
go do your thing. Yeah. And because um, I've been responsible for a lot of resources, I think of it as fuel and energy. So um, it's hard work, and I'm, I'm doing it intensely. I'm doing it fast. I'm doing it um, as strategically and intelligently and boldly as I can muster. And I'm pushing myself in that regard um, because, look, the world is a changing place. Yes, indeed. Um, and uh, uh, good works uh, can be undone and good people can be marginalized. Um, that's what being black teaches you, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it teaches you to make hay while the sun shines. Mm-hmm. So that's the the work now. In the way that you spoke earlier about Going from one headspace to another, one mm-hmm. person to another. What was it? What's what was this transition for you? So I've been doing work in philanthropy first two years at the Ford Foundation, mm-hmm. then a little hiatus, and now a year and a half at Mellon. And the transition was very hard at first um, because I didn't know how to balance or calibrate. I didn't know yet that you're always who you are. I thought you know, a little dramatically, like, I'm on a mission. (laughs) I've left her behind. (laughs) And that's my sacrifice. But two two, uh, beloved poet friends were like, girl, you know, like to get up off the fainting couch. (laughs) You know, you are always a poet. You are. And what does that mean? Right. Does being a poet mean making an actual thing called a poem a day? Um, well, no. Uh, you know, it means being able to sustain contradiction. It means being precise with languages. It means uh, being, I think, brave enough to go into a certain kind of darkness, knowing that there is light, and the light can be the precision of the turn of phrase. The light can be the insight that comes from working and writing. The light can be the uh, knowledge that is accessed when you go deep. You don't know quite what you're rooting about for. So that all of those are transferable skills. Um, One friend of mine said, you know, what does it mean to enter the room with poet's eyes? What does it mean to look in a certain way? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to live in curiosity? But also what I am still in the process of doing um, and that I'm feeling good about is it's not all or nothing, because poems are what's true to me. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you would say something about one or two teachers who had a huge impact on you. Mm-hmm. I love the topic of teachers. Um, because? Um, well, I'm very interested in intimacy. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and it's so intimate with the teacher. Um, so I'm thinking about um, my favorite ballet teacher, a woman named Cara Gargano, um, uh, who was fierce and demanding and relentless and always expected more from us. She wasn't sadistic. She wasn't mean. Mm-hmm. But she always expected more from us. And she was precise in her corrections, and she was intense. Uh, so she would sometimes come, like, you know, I can, like, right now I can 
feel her finger. And it's interesting. Drilling. You just sat up. Yeah. And you put your shoulders back. Yeah. And your neck, your, you got longer. Yeah. So, sorry. And that was she a long come. time ago. I'm here to tell you. <laughs> but I could feel like that finger in between my shoulder blades. Mm-hmm. Or I could feel like she would also pinch our butts. Like she would, you know, like just like activate the muscles. Use them. Mm-hmm. She said, you're trying to lift that leg up. You got to use this. Yes. You know, um, and so I, I felt like with her, um, you could always go further than you thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was hard. It was hard. And it, that's such a life lesson. Oh, isn't my it? good. Oh, my goodness. You can such always a life go lesson. further than you think you can. Yep, that's and it's right. Hard. I, I feel like I, I always need to mark um, Derek Walcott, the the teacher who showed me that I was a poet. Mm. I um, went to study with him not having written poems, Mm. having written fiction, but not having written poems. And um, he was uh, a very gruff and exacting teacher. So again, we have a bit of a theme. Um, But um, he was very deeply loving in a completely not warm and fuzzy way at all. Hmm. Um, he was not about um, a certain kind of praise, which I found to actually be um, very black and familiar, very West Indian. You know, like, I'm not going to just tell you, you know, what a pretty girl you are. You know, like, why would I do that? Mm-hmm. You know, I think about Toni Morrison in Sula when Nell says to, you know, to, to her mother, you know, Mom, did you love us? Right. She's like, love you? <laughs> right. I kept you alive. <laughs> I kept you alive. I didn't come quite out of that, but I did come out of people who were like, do your work, work hard. You know, this isn't meant to be easy, hmm. um, but also who loved me so deeply, and this is what I felt from Derek as well, that they didn't need to say it a million times. Mm. It was just the bedrock. Um, so with Derek also, for someone to say, this art form really belongs to whoever can respect it, learn it, work it, revere it, bow down before it, never give up on it, do it every day. You know, Derek worked on at poems every single day. Um, so to see him, someone who was so devoted to the work of making art was a really, um, a, a really amazing thing. But also someone who, you know, Talent notwithstanding, it wasn't about are you talented, are you not talented. It was about what is within your control. Go out and and do your work. Hmm. He also said things uh, to uh, us, to his students, um, like, never try to charm with your work, hmm. which I think had a great resonance for me in family. Don't be cute. Don't act cute. Cute is not durable. You want to be a strong, grown person. You know, you want to be strong and true. Um, And so um, that value in one's work um, was something that I I really, really, really uh, learned from him. Take out your pencils. (laughs) Begin. Mm -hmm. Anything can be made. Anything 
can be done. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Dr. Elizabeth Alexander. Thank you, Madam. This was a joy. Thank you. Thank you. And that was my conversation with Dr. Elizabeth Alexander. I'm Helga Davis. If you want more of these conversations, subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and share with a friend. You can also leave a comment. It really helps us out. Helga is produced by Crystal Hawes Dressler and myself. Our technical director, composer, and sound designer is Curtis McDonald. Lucas Krohn Grimberger is our executive producer. Special thanks to WNYC's program director, Jacqueline Zincata, and Alex Ambrose. Be sure to visit us online at wnycstudios.org slash Helga.